If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Welcome, uh, welcome, welcome. A special edition, post-COVID edition of <laughs> Conscious Embodiment, Astrology and Dreams with Dr. Michael Lennox. Welcome back. Thank you, Zoe. Wow. COVID. Damn. First and foremost, I want to say thank you. And, and I'm sorry, you know, like it, it, it was... It was not hard for me to skip the episode from a you know an emotional psych- psychic psychological place. I was um, you know I just, I just didn't have it because oh my god the exhaustion piece of COVID is really what was kicking my ass. And um, so thank you everybody for being graceful about missing a week. Uh, I definitely needed the rest. Um, then also there was just such an outpouring of messages on social media and emails just from all of the different places where I was sharing that I had COVID. All y'all were so beautiful and generous. And um, I, I, was, I was at times just overwhelmed <laughs> with the gratitude for having created such a beautiful community and a relationship in which I serve and feel well served and supported by y'all. And that was a moment where I was like, oh, wow. This dynamic relationship is, you know, is reciprocal. And it was a moment for me to receive as opposed to give. And I received gorgeously. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I am getting back my regular energy. I think that's the killer of this, you know, uh, 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 experience of COVID is the exhaustion. Like I was like sick as a dog for four days, like more than I've ever been. And then that went away and the level of lack of energy was just outrageous. And it's, eh, I'm still a little <laughs> tired, <laughs> but I back. Thank you uh, for the grace of the week gone by. This is actually a very timely question. We got a question um, from Anne who wanted to ask about void moons. And the reason why it's timing is interesting is, is that we've just in the last week or so 
switched into a period of short void moons when they are sometimes long and in a way that might seem to people as kind of haphazard. Let me read her question. Hey, Michael, I understand the concept of a void moon, which I'll explain. I was about to say, to um, I think I'm but, missing a piece. No, Anne, Anne understands. That's good, but I will have you all understanding. So she understands the concept of what determines. Oh, uh, but what determines the length of time of a void moon? Sometimes they are three hours. Sometimes they are really long. For example, the Virgo moon over the weekend from Leo, I guess in the last weeks, a uh, couple of weeks, was like 20 hours. Yes, there were some all-day void moons. I notice it seems not to have a rhyme or reason, or at least I don't understand it. As always, thank you for answering my questions. Yay. So, <laughs> yes, the void moon lengths can seem haphazard, but they're not. There's an actual geometrical pattern at play. So let's just start with what a void moon is, because they happen every two and a half days. So the moon moves through the cosmos, and while she goes, she's making geometrical connections to the other planets in the solar system. We call those transits or lunar aspects. The moon in a geometry with Mars or Uranus or Saturn, that's a lunar aspect. And in a two and a half period of day period of time, the moon in that sign is going to hit just about every planet in a different shape of geometry. Some geometries are what we would call major conjunctions, when two things are at the same place at the same time, squares, 90-degree angles of conflict, oppositions, where two energies sort of face off, trines, where the energy is harmonious and lovely, or sextiles, where it's productive and creative. Those are the major angles that the moon can create an energy with by hitting another planet in such an angle. Now, there's a moment towards the end of every two and a half days of the moon in a sign, where the moon is going to make the very last major hit before changing signs. So for example, if the moon squares Pluto and creates a moment of shadow and conflict, that's a major hit because it's a square, 90 degree square. And let's just pretend that there's not going to be any more major hits before the moon changes signs so that that last major hit is the last, I call them dings. Ding! <laughs> it's the musician in me, right? The last ding that the moon makes, she drops into this powerful, feminine, inner sanctum space in between the angle of action and movement and the next big movement thing of changing signs. It's the weft to the woof. It's the, it's the below the surface of the tapestry weaving. It's the inner feminine space where we sort of take an out breath before breathing in again at the sign change. It's like a rhythm of, of masculine and feminine. So the moon is moving. That's a masculine energy. Then she drops into this inner space called the void. And it's in between the last major angle and the sign change. And we want to honor voids because we want to do what the solar system is doing. So if the moon is void for a couple of hours, in my daily astro alert description of this energy, I say... Pay attention to your inner landscape during those hours. Make lists, plan, clean, prepare, rest, nap, meditate. But don't start something new. Don't send out that email that you need a response to. 
don't launch your class with a new email marketing, you know, <laughs> until the void is over. Because it's just a time where the solar system is saying, rest, restore, and be in feminine space, and then go act and move and go and do. And you're saying that's a few hour window? Well, it depends on where the planet in the solar system is at the latest degree point in whatever sign that planet is in so that the moon making contact with it, the later degree point that the planet is holding, then the shorter period of time there will be between the, the, the lunar aspect that creates the void and the moon changing signs. So right now we are in mostly very, very short voids because Pluto just backtracked into Capricorn the other week. So the planet Pluto is very much at the tail end of Capricorn, like 29 degrees, 57 minutes. That's three minutes of space in between the end of the sign and the next sign over. So when the moon squares Pluto right now, it's happening at 29 degrees, 57 minutes of whatever sign the moon is into square Pluto. That means that the void will only last a couple of minutes of time because the angle from the moon to the planet at the latest degree is at such a late degree that it's a very short void. Now, as Pluto moves backwards into Capricorn over the next month or two and hits like 28 degrees, now, if the void is created by the moon connecting with Pluto at any given moment, by the way, voids are not generated by the moon connecting with Pluto. The voids are created by the moon connecting with any planet. Right, right. I got that. Pluto just happens to be the latest planet in the degrees of the 30 degrees of any mm -hmm. sign, right? But as Pluto backs up into Capricorn more, now next month when the moon is in... Libra and ready to square Pluto again, she'll square, uh, she'll square Pluto from like 28 degrees of the sign that she's moving through of Libra. That will make the void last the amount of time it takes the moon to move two degrees, which is four hours. Now, say the moon hits a planet, it's not touching Pluto because of the sign it's in, it can't make a major hit to where Pluto is. It will create a void based on its making contact, which whatever is the other latest planet in the degree setup, you know, which right now would be like Neptune at 27 degrees of Pisces or in certain signs, you know, Uranus is at 21 degrees of uh, Taurus, right? So if the moon makes contact with Uranus at 21 degrees as the last major hit before she changes signs, that means the moon has to move nine whole degrees in between that last big hit and when she changes signs. That's going to be like a 20-hour mm. void. So the voids are of different length of time based on the moon's making contact with whatever planet is at the latest degree of the 30 of any sign any planet is moving through, and that for that reason, the voids seem to have a random 
length of time difference between them, but it's ultimately not. You mentioned Uranus, and Michael, I have a personal question. <laughs> like, you always say, yeah. like, for Uranus, you always say anything can and will happen, and it can be good or bad in yeah. your experience. So, yeah. like, since— Yes, absolutely. I, I the, the, Anything can happen and probably will. So that's been my experience in the last uh, 10 days since I saw you. Um, you know, we had that little week break, but— a bread knife went through my finger. I got stitches in my finger. Uh, I was in a car accident where I was T-boned and like the car works and I have a lot of pain, but nothing's wrong. It's just shock. I got a new gig, a big new <coughs> gig. Like, I don't know. I went to Pride and Samurai Carry. Like all these, this wide range Ooh, of intense you saw things oh, have God, been yeah, happening. Carry Los Angeles Pride. <laughs> Okay, so you just mentioned four things, two that we would bona fide call negative and two that we would call wonderful, right? Right. Okay, uh, you're killing me with this because I just looked at your chart. This is fabulous. First of all, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a little mini reading for you here. First of all, I'm filled with nachas because you're making the connections. Mm -hmm. And if you're making connections, then our listeners are making connections. Nachis is Yiddish for pride. I was like wondering I, pride. <laughs> yeah. So, um, indeed, Zoe, your chart in the month of June of 2023 is beginning two Uranus cycles. Two. How is that possible? One of which I would call, well, because your chart is three-dimensional. Oh. You can't. Uranus can be touching any number of points okay. in your chart at the same time because there's a geometrical pattern. And at this moment, Uranus is doing two major things to your chart. One that I would call positive and one that I would call like challenging and difficult. Mm -hmm. Uranus is sextiling your ascendant for the next year and squaring your Saturn. Okay. Those are both major transits from the planet that brings the sudden, the unexpected, and a sense of awakening. Uranus in a sextile with your, your, with your ascendant, that's going to bring the new, the exciting, the relational. Like you at Pride, that's a relational experience. You out in the world, meeting the world, and the world in that moment had one of the biggest pop stars in the world local to Los Angeles, celebrating Pride at a moment when Pride means more than it maybe ever has. Right. That's you in relationship to your world as sparkly and dynamic on that particular day. That's Uranus sextiling your ascendant. A new gig uh, that's exciting and, 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 and expansive, that's Uranus sextiling your ascendant. The world is going to meet you with new and exciting possibilities, including, by the way, relationships. Huh. You might need some other transits in there to cause a romantic relationship to rise up in the next year. But with Uranus sextiling your ascendant, you are primed right now from June of 23 until like May, June of 24 to have dynamic new things, including connections, come up into your life. You've already seen two examples of that right now. The challenging piece is worth knowing, Zoe, because this is also going to be a year, it's a year-long transit of 
Uranus squaring your Saturn. So we typically think of Saturn as the lesson karma guy. And, And he is. He's the great teacher, right? But in a chart, Saturn also represents how we create structure, safety, foundation, solidity, the things about our lives that we would call our structure. I usually say, you know, like where you live, where you bank, where, where you do your dry cleaning when we used to do dry cleaning, uh, you know, structures of your life. So Uranus can change things unexpectedly. And Saturn is that solid structural foundation of life. And so with the planet that can knock you on your ass hitting you at that level, that's car accidents and stabbing your thumb. Right. So you do want to be aware that while the next year can bring you lots of dynamic, exciting new things, the year can also include some trips and falls and and things that you were not hoping to happen that are Uranian in nature. So keep your seatbelt on, move nice and slow, appreciate the fun and exciting, and understand that it comes along with some, you know, dicey, unexpected things as well. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the new moon that we just had because we just had it. And if I had done the podcast last week, uh, I would have talked all about it. And we're sort of past the kind of like intention setting moment uh, because this comes out on Monday the 19th, this uh, hit over the weekend on Saturday. Uh, evening. So yeah, we're still in the thrusts of the lunar cycle getting going. And well, th- listen, you, we should be setting intentions with every breath we take. Absolutely. So <laughs> we, we might do it formally as a ritual at a new moon, but you know. So it's Gemini. It's the Gemini new moon. We're in an interesting place in the, in the Saros cycle. And I think I talked about this two weeks ago where a new moon will happen and then the sun's going to change signs like right afterwards. And so then the full moon that we have next will have a shift from where the sun and the moon are now. So we are still those, you know, in a lunar cycle generated by the sun and the moon together in Gemini. Mercury ruled. Gemini is about our thinking, our communication, our perceptions, and our ideas about life and the desire to share them. So we're in a lunar cycle that's about codifying what you want to communicate to your world and putting emphasis into the sharing of ideas and, and connections that you, you know, want to make and create. It's a deeply healing moment that we're in with this lunar cycle because when the new moon was exact over the weekend, Venus and Mars and Black Moon Lilith are all sort of gathering in Leo. So we've got this huge creative thrust coming from the planet of action, Mars, the planet of our emotional body, Venus, who we're going to talk a lot about today because she's starting up her retrograde cycle, and Black Moon Lilith, who's in Leo, this shadow point that when we work with that point well— we get to have a juicy, creative experience of our psyche because we are most creative when we're working with the unconscious. Mm. Black Moon Lilith is like the most direct access any of us have to the unconscious. It's like the manhole cover of the sewer system that is the just below the surface of conscious awareness where 
shame and, and fear and limitation live, but also the richest, most powerful creativity that we have is in our Black Moon Lilith feminine principle, creative, destructive shadow point. So we've got this very powerful sense of possibility when it comes to impulses for self-creation. Leo reminds us that we are creative beings and our, our best lived life is when we are being creative and expressive. And then there's a trine between Venus, Mars, and Black Moon Lilith, and Chiron, the healer in Aries. So the intentions that we set over the last couple of days and the lunar cycle that we're now in has this tremendous creative power at the individual level, while the new moon and the lunar cycle says, share your creative ideas with the world. Like, Gemini is all about our ideas, but it's nothing until we've shared them. That's what Gemini came to teach us. It's like, you've got thoughts, you've got ideas, now mm -hmm. share them. Now, <laughs> if you've been a little confused over this last weekend and into today about, like, what those ideas might be or where you want to put your emphasis next, that's not surprising because the new moon also squared Neptune. Squares are hard geometry, the energy of conflict. And while Neptune, Neptune is cloudy because it's spiritual. Yes, okay. exactly right. It's the great spirit. Such knockers. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe. You really I love it. Yes, because Neptune is the planet through which we understand that we have an unconscious and a collective spiritual space that we are all connected through. And even just that idea isn't earthy. It isn't grounded. It isn't structural. It isn't detailed. It isn't in that mental perception place. It's in the amorphous, deep, it's Pisces ruled, right? So it's all about the, the, the never-ending sense of connection. And the shadow of that is, I can't see. I don't know. I'm confused. The fog machine's been turned on. So we are in this interesting lunar cycle that's been driven by a powerful desire to clearly share your ideas out into the world more directly, coming from a place of deep personal creative possibility with a dose of, I don't know that I know what I'm doing next. And if that's the story that you're having, just go with it, kids, because it's part of the lunar cycle to learn how to move with a sense of inner clarity when the outside world might not be giving you a reflection of the clarity you feel that you need to stay true to the ideas you wish to share with the world. Do it anyway. Have at it. You know, we missed a big week last week, Zoe, because not only did we have a new moon to potentially talk about, over the weekend, the Venus retrograde uh, cycle began. Hmm. So we, we are now officially in Venus's retrograde. Did, didn't we have one recently? I don't know why this rings a bell. Yes, we did. Not only did we have one, Zoe, I talked about it incessantly. Wait, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you talked a yes, lot about it. Yes, because it happened at the beginning of 2022. 
in the sign of Capricorn. It it started and ended with Venus hanging out with Pluto for like two weeks when she normally would have zipped by in a day or two. So we had this, not only was Venus retrograde creating what Venus retrogrades create, which is an opportunity to go below the surface of our psyche and do some digging and changing and transforming and healing so we come out the other side better givers and receivers of love. They're very important. All personal planet retrogrades are important. We tend to think of Mercury as just this annoying thing that we have to move mm. through. But if you have ever changed your perceptions or fixed a communication problem or learned how to speak up or learned how to shut up in your life, you have Mercury retrogrades to thank for mm. that. Because we walk through the world communicating, communicating, communicating. It's when the planet moves backwards that we can go below the surface and adjust how we're communicating. And this happens like clockwork every 88 days for 22 days. Venus and Mars don't do this like clockwork. They do it every two to three years without a precision regularity. So the last one happened 18 months ago. That's not that long ago. That's pretty freaking close. I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so would all <laughs> astrologers. And I like to anthropomorphize such moments. It's like if Venus went retrograde a year and a half ago, and she felt it was so important that we all learn how to love better. She said, I'm going to go up to that motherfucking Lord of the Underworld and I'm going to park myself in his house. I'm going to stay here for two weeks. I don't give a shit what he does to me. I'm going to open my heart ability to love better so that the planet can have more love. That's why I talked about it all year long. Because the idea was that Venus had this experience with Pluto in early 2022. And then as she moved forward over the entire next year, every Venus transit that we experienced after that deep dive was being integrated into us in deeper mm -hmm. levels. And so now here we are again, shorter time later than usual, because what is Venus saying? She's saying, we need more love. We got to go again. Only now she's in the sign of Leo, which is the sign ruled by the sun, the center of our consciousness. Uh, it's the ruling sign of the heart chakra. So it's all about expansiveness of love and personal creativity and confidence with finances. There's so much juice in this Venus retrograde in a personal self-expressive way. The juiciness of the last Venus retrograde was the level of death rebirth process and change. That was the opportunity. You're going to die in your heart. We did. We all died in our hearts and got reborn 18 months ago in like December, January of 21 into 22. And this one is going to allow us to rise up and sing our song out there in the world in a much bigger, bolder the, you know, Leonian sort of way. Now, I'm gonna, not going to talk too much more about, about the Venus retrograde here because I'm doing a masterclass, kids. Go to michaelennix.com. There's a big banner right in the front of the side. I'm promoting it left, right, and center. And in a couple of weeks, I'll do one of my fun two, three-hour masterclasses taking you through every detail of the Venus retrograde cycle in great depth, including some, you know, horoscope sense of like, you know, 
what this means for you based on your rising sign. So that's that's a common join me kids for that. You'll you'll want to show up that. But understand that we are already in what's called the retrograde shadow as of yesterday from June 18th through July 23rd. Venus will be covering the territory she's going to go through when she turns around in late July. Sign up for my retrograde masterclass for all the details, but start paying attention now to everything that comes up in your heart, every relational issue, every financial issue, every emotional body regulation issue. Okay? Relationships, finances, and feelings. Pay attention to the things that come up that feel a little constricting, confusing, or problematic because those are going to be the lessons and the heart-opening experiences that are going to arise when Venus is moving backwards in late July and all of August. So it has begun. Get your journals out, sign up for my class, and I'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Uh, you had a little altar for the Venus retrograde, right? I do have an altar for my Venus retrograde. What's on it? Well, there's a lovely scarf that came my way years ago that I use as a sacred sort of duster <laughs> that sort of underpins and creates it. A candle, obviously, so that there's something at the center of it to, to mimic my sense of the creative spark. And then I just grabbed objects around my um, home, uh, sacred objects that just looked like mm. love. Heart-shaped quartz, something that has a little blank space with a potential of writing a name in. <laughs> if there's no name on that, <laughs> it's because he hasn't arrived. Yeah. You know, I have a beautiful quartz wand that I loved that broke. And when it broke, I never threw it away. And I thought that was a perfect piece to put on a Venus mm. retrograde altar of like an idea that a broken heart is where we grow from and not something to be avoided or pretended like it ain't so. You know, we, our hearts get broken. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all of these objects that remind me of the concept of giving and receiving of love. And I encourage all of you to create such an altar for yourselves as we enter this rather interesting cycle up ahead. The big news of the week is really the summer solstice on Wednesday. I'm feeling that. Wednesday the 21st. Yeah. Oh, tell me, what do you mean by that? I want to, I want to, is it, is it the anticipation of summer? Well, I feel like summer's here. Like, I feel like it's been palpable. Um, like the sun is up for longer. Mm. Literally a couple days ago, it was like 8 PM and I felt like yeah. the afternoon. <laughs> and I, then I realized right. I was like, well, why is it 8 PM? And then I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, and it's because we are moving towards the longest day in the Northern mm -hmm. hemisphere. So that, that, that happens with each day that passes. Each day really does get a little longer. And then there's always that moment where you notice right. it. Right? And so this is actually a good precursor into talking about the solstices and the equinoxes because of what they are. And they're not transits. You know, I'm a transit astrologer. Right. I, I am interested in the geometry that the planets make, how we're interacting with that geometry because it colors how we choose, decide, and, and the raw materials with which we are creating 
That's why I talk about transits in both in my readings, in my dailies, and in this podcast. But our relationship with the light of the sun is primal to our existence here on earth. Mm -hmm. Everything is about the light. Right. In fact, we have these glands in the middle of our brains, the pineal gland, which is, you know, in spiritual circles, your pineal gland is thought to be your God center. Why that is, is that the pineal gland makes some shit, makes chemical stuff, makes, makes most importantly, it makes melatonin and the cyclical chemicals that drive our relationship to night, day, sleep, and seasons. This idea of seasonal affective disorder, that comes from the pineal gland. That comes from not having a good enough mechanism for responding to light so that when the light diminishes naturally, the person who suffers is uh, got a, a misalignment somehow in the chemicals that regulate our seasonality. Hmm. But this was key to like life and civilization forming. Like without seasons, we've got no farming. Without seasons, you won't know what to do when. It's our relationship to the light that told us when to plant, when to harvest, when to lay fallow. So these marker moments that you might experience as, woo, it's pride and I'm going to go see Mariah Carey <laughs> and it's going to be light until 8.30. Woohoo, yay, fun, hot summer is also reflective of your actual existence in a body lighting up interiorly because the light exteriorly is so bright. So it's a moment to celebrate. Absolutely. It's a marker moment. Pagan culture, all of the pagan holidays, uh, and I'm not just talking about like modern paganism, but when we honored the earth and First Nations people honored the earth, it would be these moments of our relationship to the sun that was crucial because without that, we have no life. We have no survival. From an from a archetypal perspective, what I like to teach about in the solstices is something that shows up in the equinoxes that's very obvious. In an equinox, both of them, the days and the nights are of equal length. And what do we crave more than anything? Balance. Yes. Harmony. Everything in our system in life is about chaos and the efforts to restore, through chaos, ourselves to balance. And wholeness is easy to understand when the day and the night are of equal length. Even if you're not thinking about it consciously, your pineal gland knows this. So your body knows it. Your body knows when we're in harmony and balance. When we get into the, the solstices, now we're either in the longest day or the shortest, depending on what hemisphere we're in. So when we're in the longest day in the north, it's the shortest day in the southern hemisphere. They're beginning winter as we're celebrating the first day of summer. There's your balance. Your balance and harmony exists in the solstice only by expanding your view to such an extent that you can contain this dissonant contradiction of longest day, shortest day at the same time. So it takes effort to feel balance when there is none. 
Now, when we're in the winter side, when we're in the winter solstice in the north, that's when it's darkest out and we light candles. There's the Hanukkah candles. There's the Christmas tree lights, the Kwanzaa candles. We symbolize creating light when we're in the appearance of dark. Now, ipso facto, we ought to be in the summer solstice celebrating the darkness. <laughs> we should do rituals where we honor the dark when, the, when there's the most light. But of course, we don't do that. We just simply celebrate the light. What would that look like? I, I, ha I actually, I have hu not. Human sacrifice? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm actually not kidding when I say that. Like, you asked me what, what, what I would. I'd be like, you do a ritual that honors death. Oh, okay. When the world is reflecting that all is light and life. Yeah. So that it's not forgotten. Mm -hmm. Right? I don't do this, so I'm not, I'm not saying this. No to get people to celebrate this way. <laughs> I'm saying this to teach. I'm saying this because there's a value for my money in moving through the solstices and equinoxes is to remind us of our divinity and our magnificence by aligning with the magnificence of this solar system that we call mm -hmm. home. So if the solar system is doing it, we should do it. And when we do, we are more directly connected to these larger energies that hold us. And I think we then have, as a result, more grace. So celebrate the solstice in any way that you want. <laughs> celebrate the summer in the north. And if you're listening to us from down under, light us a candle remembering... <laughs> the longest day when you are in your shortest and understand that this is one of the four powerful and important marker moments in our astrological consciousness. Have at it. Did you know that Michael has a daily astro alert? If you enjoy hearing the weekly astrology, you might like knowing more about each day. When you subscribe for the daily astro alerts, you'll get an in-depth explanation of the day's astrology sent right to your email. Subscriptions are only $10 a month, or you can purchase the yearly subscription at the reduced price of $100. To subscribe, head over to michaelenix.com. All right, it's dream segment time. Every week, Dr. Michael will interpret dreams that are sent in via email or take a live caller. If you would like your dream interpreted on the podcast, you can go ahead and email us at dreams at michaelenix.com. Hopefully your dream will make it onto the show. We have a dream from Megan, and um, there's a frog somewhere in here, and I just liked that. <laughs> okay. okay. So she had a short but interesting and very bizarre dream. She says, mm. I was outside on my way up an unfamiliar road on foot when I passed two girls that I know but have not seen in a while. One of them I've not seen in 13 years. We went to high school together, and she was someone – that we were friendly but didn't hang out. 
The other one I worked with a couple times in recent years, but do not see often. She works with the research and conservation tracking of animals. We interact on Instagram occasionally. The one who works with animals was pushing a wheelbarrow, and then together they stopped and used a shovel to pick up an animal, and I could tell it was a frog. They were releasing it into a swamp slash forest on the side of the road, but it had to cross the road to get to its habitat. It was more of a dirt road. I saw it hop away and initially thought it was a giant bullfrog. I also could see that it was very clearly yellow slash tan with a large black mark behind its head. And somehow I knew that it was a spring peeper and I was surprised to learn that this is what they look like. Those frogs are small and this one is large. I was instantly excited because I love frogs and I haven't seen one in a while. It went into the forest area, and when I went over to try to see it more closely, it all of a sudden came bounding back in one large hop and landed on my lap. It was like a magnet or something. The whole thing was almost cartoon-like. After another moment, I looked down and the frog was suckling hard onto my left arm. At first I was absolutely delighted, as I usually am when an animal seems to like me. But I realized that this is not normal frog behavior. <laughs> then it quickly turned into fear that this was actually not good and it was leeching off me. Like maybe the frog was venomous or something and I tried to get it off me. I turned to Libby, the girl who released it, and she also seemed concerned. I managed to pry it off and get it to go back towards the wood area that it was initially released into. Then my dream phased into a different scene. So curious to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Well, let's start with just frog in general, because right. it's obviously all about the frog, okay? <laughs> right? Um, typical frog, we certainly can't dissect. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dad joke. You cannot dissect from frog the trope of if you kiss a frog, it might turn into a prince. Mm. Nobody escapes that. Nobody escapes that in our modern world. It's too powerful a fairy tale kind of image. But I, I don't want to just stop there. Let's also understand that frogs as amphibious in nature have an interesting capacity to dwell what we would call slightly below the surface. Mm -hmm. Right? They, they can live in the swamp, in the muck. And so we think of that as symbolic of our consciousness of swampiness, muckiness, places where emotion and, and ideas mix. That'd be like land and water, swampy dirt. You follow me? Yeah. So a frog can live there, but pop out and change where it is. It can, so we, we look at that active frog as both representing potential messages that come up from the swampy places, right? Like the frog leaping up has information from where the frog was. So uh, a frog therefore can represent the ability, if you can catch it, to grasp some slippery idea that's a little murky, a little below the surface, uh, and also the sudden extrication from it. You know, frogs jump when they're frightened and they 
they exit quickly. So there's a fear response in the frog, you know, leap. So we start with that, that Megan is in consideration of some material that's slightly unconscious, maybe a little fearful, and is demanding some attention, you know, from her right now. And it might connect with romantic ideas because of the kiss, the frog, it might turn into a prince. So if we're outdoors and we're on a familiar, an unfamiliar road on foot, Megan is in consideration of her natural, organic, private walk through life. Right? It's not an urban setting. She's not sharing the road with others. So she's in this private place of her organic walk in her life. She's got these friends with her so that they, they offer some element of consciousness that she needs at the moment. And there's certainly one of them that knows all about frog, all, all about animal tracking, right? But it's a dream. It's not about frogs and their habitat. It's about the person who is representing aspects of Megan that is more familiar with these underbelly consciousness stuff that's being symbolized by the frog. These are not ready thought patterns that Megan's having because these are friends she hasn't seen in 13 years and, you know, a bunch of other years, number of years, the other person, right? So it's not like Megan's not in regular thought in this dream, right? She's in more dynamic thought that comes around every once in a while when she's in some deep thinking about material that's just below the surface of her, of her consciousness. There's this desire. I love the crossing the road bit. Hmm. That suggests that there's some transition. You know, why does the chicken cross the road? To get to the <laughs> other side, right? So why does the frog cross the road? To get home, to get back to its organic place. So that means that there's something, there's some message that something has to be traversed. Some risk mm -hmm. has to be taken. Yellow color is the, you know, I always go with the chakras. It's about gut instincts, following your feelings, what the belly tells you uh, is important to do. There's something about the bigness of something that should have been like just a little peeper <laughs> that needs her attention a little bit more, you know, vibrantly because it's, it's, it's big. So when this frog ends up in her lap, to me, that's an important moment of receiving the medicine, right? The frog is medicine. And it's the medicine of I know both realms. It's the medicine of I can quickly right myself when I'm in territory that is scary so I can go below the surface. I can breathe down there. I'm amphibious. And I can get out of there if I need to. And so the frog landing on her lap is the moment where I think the dream is saying, you need this psyche right now. You need this ability to navigate more than one world, one that's deeply emotional and one that's above land, you know, uh, and, and your conscious interactions with the world. And then the fear comes in as it always does. I don't think that the fear around the perception that the suckling frog is dangerous because I've heard too many dreams where the medicine shows up and people are frightened. Right. So if a person has a dream about a bear, it's still bear medicine, even if the dream is, yeah, I'm terrified there's a bear. It's like, yes, you need bear right now. Mm -hmm. You need the strength that knows its own power without having to express it. You need the strength that might go to sleep now and then, and that's as sacred as when the bear is active, right? So 
Megan needs frog. She needs to be able to go below, below the surface and pop up and give information that's, you know, needed. And the frightened, uh-oh, is this dangerous to me, to me is just reflecting that we all shrink back from processes mm. and fearful things we have to do. It's like the frog suckling her arm might be removing toxins. But it's frightening because it's a process that, that something's happening that Megan doesn't understand. So both she and her dream compatriots say, oh, yeah, this must be scary and dangerous. But dream consciousness tells me that it's not, that there's some thing that this frog energy is sucking out of her or helping her accomplish or put into her behaviors, you know. Or lack of behaviors. You know, left arm is the feminine arm. It's the arm that says don't act but be receptive. Mm -hmm. So there's something about what the frog is offering Megan of process going below the surface and allowing some kind of a venomous extraction to take place. I would bet that the frog wasn't putting venom into Megan but taking it out. Because my assessment is dreams are for us, even when we're frightened of the imagery. It's, in fact, important in dream consciousness to not look at dream occurrences with the same judgment we would apply if we were awake. Yeah. If I was awake and a frog jumped into my lap and started sucking on my left arm in a freaky way, that would be bad. Yeah. But in a dream, it has to be good because dreams are for us. So the fear at the end of the dream is what drives home for me that Megan's dream is about accessing some part of her psyche that's capable of going into the muck and popping out with new ideas and wisdom from below. Thank you for listening to Conscious Embodiment, Astrology and Dreams with Dr. Michael Lennox. You can find us on Apple Music, the iHeartRadio app, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Head on over to michaelennox.com for information on astrology readings, the daily Astro Alert subscription, upcoming classes, and to join the mailing list. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.